So in uh, 2005, Renee and I bought, my wife Renee and I, we bought our first house. Any of you remember the time, you know, if you've ever bought a house, do you remember your first house that you bought? How exciting that was and how your hand cramped up because of how much paperwork you had to sign, you know, it's like they should give you a golden pen or something like that for, for signing as much as you do. We bought our house in 2005. We'd found the community that we wanted to live in and we didn't like blow it out or anything like that. We had a small uh two-bedroom townhouse, you know, that we got. We didn't go for what we could afford, you know, when, when you go in there and they tell you how much money you can spend. We, we actually, like, looked and see, here's, here's what we could do. So we bought a little fixer-upper, a little townhouse, and it was great. Did I mention it was in 2005? Um, some of you remember what happened in 2008. I, I'll get to that in, in just a second. So, we, we, you know, we, we bought a house. As I was growing up, I, it's not like I knew a lot about money or had a, great, a lot of great ideas about what investment looked like. You know, my parents weren't financial gurus that were saying, here's all the steps that you need to take. But the one thing that I'd always heard from people is buying a house is a great investment. You ever, I mean, did you, like, did you hear that as well? I mean, is that similar to you? Like, buying a house is always a great investment, right? Because there's always, you can always build equity in your house. Did I mention that we bought our house in 2005? So we bought our house in 2005, and it was, it was pretty expensive at the time, but all housing was expensive then. Then 2008 came along, and that's when the whole idea of, of buying a house always being a great financial investment kind of fell apart for us. In 2013, we decided that God was calling us to pack up and move, and so we came here to Virginia, and we sold our house. And you know how they say that buying a house is always a great investment? We had the privilege of paying eleven grand to sell our house to someone who did make a great investment at that point. You know, uh, there are few things more quickly humbling in life than when it comes to our regrets with money. <laughs> that's, that's one of the few things that can make you just feel like silly uh, more quickly is, is money because once it's spent it's gone and yet it's the one thing that we think that if even if we make mistakes with it or make a bad investment or mismanage or mishandle it we think you know what would really help the situation is if I had more money because then I can make bigger mistakes and have more expensive regrets and yet, like uh, one famous poet wrote I don't know what they want from me it's like the more money we come across the more problems we see. But you know, money isn't going away anytime soon, right? I mean, even if we have regrets and we're coming in, we want to start over with, with our money. It's not going away anytime. You might be able to find a bartering community somewhere, but you're still going to find times we're going to regret the deals that you make, or you're going to have regrets of debt where you can't pay through things, or you're going to regret pre being preoccupied with money in your life. Chances are all of us are coming in with some sort of regret when it comes to money, especially because money regrets are linked to and tied to all the other regrets that we've talked about. It's linked to relationship regrets, arguments about money, uh, you know, are at the top of the list when it comes to marital problems, health we have stress out about money and our jobs and what we're going to do about money and purpose, whether or not we're not making enough money or we're not getting enough money for what we'd really like to do in life. They're tied to nearly everything that we do in our life. And you might get bills every single month that remind you of your regret. You might live in your regret. Your regret might be in your driveway. Your regret might be in your living room with you every single day in your life. There's so many things that seem like great purchases or make 
or, or great decisions at the time that you're caught up in the moment. You're like, this is going to be great. This is going to, and, and then, you know, just a few days later, you kick yourself. As a kid growing up, my dad taught me this principle. Um, as soon as I started mowing lawns, I started mowing lawns in the neighborhood. So I, I, that was my first job. I went around and, and, and made some money. And, and so then there were things that I wanted to buy. And he said, here's what you got to do. As soon as you decide that you want to buy something, you got to wait a week so you can decide whether or not you really want that thing. That was his principle that he taught me as a kid. you got to wait a week. He, I had to save a certain amount of percentage, put aside a certain amount to give to the church. But you got to wait a week for your purchase because there's so many things that we do on an impulse buy, right? Instant gratification that we want. And no, no, you shouldn't, shouldn't do that. So that has stuck with me where I will go into the store and say, I need, I've needed a new pair of shoes for like the last few months, but I can't pull the trigger on it. Because I haven't waited a week yet. What makes this story even better is that a few years ago, he was watching uh, late night television. You know how the, those infomercial stuff? Have you ever seen the Cutlery Corner Network? Where they're like, you can buy a 200-piece knife set for this small amount. And so he, they got him. Like, he got suckered into it. And so he sent me uh, in, a, in a box, a little cardboard box, like 25 terrible, like, non-sharp pocket knives. And said, guess what? Guess what I did? So I make sure to remind him of that regret every chance I get. What are your money regrets? Is it a regret of action, making an investment based on emotion rather than logic, or maybe going into debt, or maybe it's a regret of inaction, not living within a budget, or not saving, maybe it's a regret of reaction, somebody conned you, or maybe something at your job that you wish that you had gone differently. Um, depending on your experience and your regret, money, handling money can seem one of those elusive life skills that's embarrassingly difficult where some people just have this knack for dealing with it. Some people are more lucky than we are. Some people just have better opportunities than circumstances that come along. And while in some cases that can be true, the other thing that we can do when it comes to our regrets, when it comes to money, is we can start over on a biblical principle from the Bible that would enable us to live life beyond our money regrets. So I'll, I'll get to that very specific principle in just a second. But first, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is telling a parable, and he's answering the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And what he does is he tells some stories. He tells some parables to the people that are listening and said, here's what it's going to be like when I come back. And he associates it with the kingdom of God. Here's, here's what the kingdom is going to look like. And so when I come back, when I leave, here, here are the things that are going to be going on when this when this happens. And so here's what he shares in Matthew chapter 25, uh, reading in verses 14. I'm going to read through 14 through 17, but the parable actually goes all the way through verse 30. So maybe later on this week, you can read uh, through that and, and look at some of the details. I want to read through verse 18. So here's what he says. Again, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, uh, and some of, uh, depending on what translation you're, uh, you're reading, it will say five talents. So uh, the version that I'm reading is the New International Version, which is actually the, it's an easy-to-read version. It's the Bibles that we have out on the desk. And so talents is a, a weight of money. All right, so when they use this term, for example, a talent would be 6,000 denarii. Uh, silver, and it would be weighed, it'd be a bunch of money. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So to one, he gives five talents, or five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. 
But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. All right, so a talent was a huge sum of money, and, and based on day's wages at the time and all that kind of stuff. So I've done a little bit of math here, just as a guesstimate. We don't know exactly how much money this was at the time, but taking into account our federal minimum wage, day earner, look at the year, multiply by 6,000. For one talent, all right, for one talent, it would have been $348,000. All right, so the one talent got three. Can you, like, just, just stop for a moment. If somebody just handed you, $348,000. Would you know what to do with it? Like, do you have your list that you write down? It's like, all right, I know exactly what I would do. Now, if it was gold, that was based on silver. If it was gold talent that he gave, we don't know if they were five bags of gold or not, but if it was gold, it would have been 30 times more that amount. All right? So five talent servant gets $1.7 million to invest. All right? That's a great, that, that sounds great. Uh, the two talent servant gets $1 million to invest. The one talent servant gets $350,000 to invest. I would, just for the record, I'm not picky. I would take any of those amounts. Like, that would be fine with me. But he gives them that, and he says, hey, I'm going off for a while. I want you to take this. I want you to take my resource, invest in that, and, and that, would, that would be great. So after an extended absence, the master returns, and he calls his business managers, his servants, into the office. There's, I'm sure there's like an air of anticipation. Go into your boss's office. you got a presentation to, you know, to, to make for the company and how you've done with the company's resources and all those kinds of things. You come in, there's an air of anticipation, but probably a little bit of tension, too. The master has entrusted his servants with, uh, with a pretty cool responsibility, but also had come with fairly significant expectation. And as you continue to read in Matthew chapter 25, here's what happens in the story. The servant with the five talents is first. And he says, look, said, Master, I took the $1.7 million that you gave me to invest and figured commodities were going to be pretty big, so I diversified my... This is more detailed than what the text gives you, by the way. So I diversified my investment into wool, grain, and olive oil. I just I thought that was, those were going to do really well and ended up doubling it, so here's your $3.4 million. All right, that's exactly what you and I would do, right? If we were given $1.7 million, we would double it. I mean, we would know exactly what to do with that much money. So the master grins, and he gives a servant a high five, because that's, that's, the master is Jesus, by the way, and Jesus loves to give high fives. He says, you're the man. You know what, you know what I want to do, actually, um, with, with this? I want you to hang on to the $3.4 million, and I want you to enjoy this along with me. Like, we're going we're gonna to keep going on. The, you did a great job with this. I'm actually going to promote you, and I'm going to have you manage, continue to manage this portfolio. You keep going with commodities. That's amazing. You did a great job. I can't wait to share in this joy with you. So that, that's amazing. That sounds great. Now, if you remember in the story, the five-talent guy went out and invested and doubled. The two-talent guy went out and invested and doubled. The one-talent guy, he's, he's starting to sweat a little bit. The two-talent servant is up next, and he says, I took the $1 million you gave me and went in a little bit different direction. Uh, I purchased some forested lands that were on the outskirts of your property and actually invested in, uh, there was a, a bunch of mature trees, so we ended up harvesting those trees. And there's actually a lot of wildlife there, so we got into leather trade, and it was great. Uh, we ended up doubling your money, nearly $2.1 million we got back for you. 
one talent guy is over. The sweat starts to pour on just a little bit more. The room is getting a little bit hotter. And you know how sometimes you're going into a presentation, you want to put like the best presentation you can forward, but you know like it's not going to be as positive as you want it to be? That's kind of what he was thinking. The two-talent servant gets the same reaction as the five-talent servant. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to promote you. We're going to share in this joy together. You're going to keep hold of that portfolio and keep going. This is amazing. We're going to share in this joy together. Then it's one talent's turn. And so I'm going to go back and actually read what he has to say. In verse 24 of, of chapter 25, The man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So, so here's what he does. This, guy, this is kind of an interesting uh, scenario, if you can imagine yourself here. He starts off by blaming the one who gives him the resources to begin with. He said, well, you know, really, this is all your fault. You gave me $350,000 to invest. I mean, who does that? <laughs> you know, nobody gives me that much, uh, that much money. That's, that's crazy. You shouldn't have done that. And so, you know, I did, I, you know, I knew you were a hard man. You had high expectations so instead of taking it, so the master later says, you, know, you could have at least taken it to a money lender and gained interest on it, right? So instead of putting it in the bank and gaining interest, for it, I actually went and, uh, and dug a hole in my backyard and hid it uh, because I thought that maybe it would be safer that way and then give it to you. So first of all, he starts off blaming the master. Second of all, you know, this is not, this is not the actions of one who is afraid of the master and what's they're gonna, what they're going to do when they come back and they didn't invest the money. Because if he was truly afraid of the master, he would have, he would have taken it to the bank and gained interest. Now, this, this is the kind of action of someone who doesn't believe that the master is coming back, right? Th these are the actions of a person who says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced the, the master is coming back. And, and if I don't have a paper trail, right, if I don't take the money to the bank and it's not already invested in his name, if I just have it buried somewhere, maybe sometime later I can go back and dig it up and use it for myself, because I, I don't know that I'm really convinced that the master is actually showing back up. This guy, the reaction of the master, you continue to read in, in this chapter. I mean, you wicked, lazy servant. He casts him out. And he's like, man, this seems really harsh. I mean, the guy just was afraid to invest the money. No, that's not what's happened at all. This guy was effectively trying to rab, rob, rab, rob the master. Who, who's God? In, in this parable, in this, at some point, Jesus is coming back, and the kingdom of God is like this. He gives us all these kinds of resources in our life that, that sometimes, you know, give us regret in how we manage them. Uh, but if we don't even try, if we don't even try to make an effort in investing the resources in the way that God gives us to invest in them, to, to invest in them in a biblical way that he asks us to, um, then... This guy is effectively in a position of robbing God. In fact, um, Jesus would have, uh, the Israelites would have reminded of Malachi chapter 3. Jesus would have been reminding them of God's words in Malachi 3 verses 6 through 12. And here's, here's what happens. God says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So God has established, hey, you guys have turned away from me constantly, time and time again. You, you have tons of spiritual regrets when it comes to, to, comes to your relationship with me, and yet I, 
I haven't destroyed you. I haven't let go of you. But here, here's the problem. So they, they ask, how are we to return? In verse 8 of Malachi 3, God says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. See, here's, here's the deal here. Here's the, here's the point that Jesus is making as he shares the, this parable. This is not about the concern for, you know, you know the, the way in which they were investing uh, the money. That, that, wasn't the, that wasn't the issue. The issue was whether or not they actually believed in and trusted the fact that the master had, had given them all the resources that they needed in their life to make a great investment, to be able to share in the joy that he wanted to share with him. That, that's the picture of the kingdom of God. It's not that, not that you know, when it comes to your resources and the finances you have and stuff like that, oh man, if I make a mistake or I make the wrong investment or, or something like that, that, that God's going to be mad at you because you didn't make a bunch of money in this life. That's not the issue here. The issue is whether or not you cared enough to make an investment in the way that he asks us to, according to his principles. See, you, you may not think you have the resources in order to make a difference in God's kingdom or, or to be able to make an investment that's, that's worthwhile to the master when he comes back, with Jesus in this case. But the fact of the matter is he's already entrusted that with you. He's already given it to you. That's why the word talent for us has turned into this. It's much bigger. That when Jesus is telling the story, they would have understood it in terms of money, but it has become bigger than that. It's any resource that we have, material resource, abilities, gifts that we have in this life, like God has already given those for us to be able to use that he wants to share and joy with us. All he asks is that we are faithful in return. And, and it's not necessarily a financial reward that we receive, but it is a heavenly reward. There's a joy that he wants to share with us. Here's the one specific principle that I mentioned earlier that will help you live beyond regret when it comes to money. And Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 points it out. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Money is a stewardship issue. When it comes to living your life beyond regret and starting over when it comes to money in your life, we have to understand that money is a stewardship issue. A stewardship, well, that, I mean, that's kind of an archaic term right there. You know, what, what does that mean? What's well, God's money? God's the one who's already giving us the talent and resources that we need. Um, and sometimes there are unconscious belief systems that affect how we handle money and understand how God has given that as a resource for us. There's a financial psychology guy named Brad Klontz who identifies four of these unconscious belief systems, and maybe this fits in with you. Maybe you can write down which one, if one of these affects you. Uh, one is money avoidance, believing that money is bad or that you don't deserve money. One, uh, the second one is money worship, thinking that having more money will solve all your problems and give you happiness. Number three is money status, looking to money to set you apart from other people. Number four is money vigilance, being unusually watchful over and worried about your money. There is a fifth option, and it's the one that God gives us. 
And that's money stewardship. Knowing that our resources, that your money, that our money belongs to God and that he will help you and I manage it well for his purposes when we follow his principles. And part of that is, is recognizing what belief system you're, you're under when it comes to your rut of regret when it comes to money and wanting to start, start over. You will remain there until you see money as a stewardship of what is God's issue. So recognize that. Spend some time this week and figure out if, if you have regrets when it comes to money and want to start over, recognize where you are on that. And then, then release that regret. Understand that God wants to share in that joy with you not have this continue to be an issue of regret and fear and trepidation in your life. Move past the, the pride and the possessiveness, maybe, that you have with that money so that you can be helped by God's principles. If you've hurt your spouse or someone else over arguments about money because you haven't approached it in a godly way, ask forgiveness. Release that regret. Let's move past it. If you've racked up a bunch of debt because of poor decisions or made a foolish financial move, it's time to stop beating yourself up. And allow God's principles and stewardship and money to be what you put into practice. Have you stolen money? Have you been greedy? Ask forgiveness from God for that sin. Release that regret. Have you had bad financial circumstances because sometimes things just go wrong? It's time to release that bitterness, bitterness and that covetousness that you have maybe for somebody else's situation. Leave it aside and recognize that God is already working in your situation. If we just take a step back and recognize that it's all his, he's got it under control and he wants to share his joy with us. This is not about being perfect in your investment strategy this is not about you making more money, that if you follow God's principle of money being a stewardship issue, it, it's about asking the question when it comes to our stuff and our resources, is this decision about God's kingdom or is it about my own? Do, do I have some things in my life that I'm kind of going out and burying in the back of the yard? You know, I don't want a paper trail on that one. There's some other things that I'm willing to kind of get over to God, but um, is it about God's kingdom or your own? So maybe, uh, maybe you're at a place in your life where you've recognized that, you know, it didn't take this message for you to know that I have some financial regrets. Maybe the part of the problem is you just haven't known what kind of practical steps can I begin taking in this arena. So what I've done is I've invited John Pierce to come up and join me uh, this morning. John's one of our elders. He also leads our Financial Peace University groups. But for the last 20 years, uh, John has been in the finance industry. He's been a financial planner. He's a project manager for, uh, for Capital One, which you'll, you'll explain that in, in, yes. in, just, in just a minute. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about some practical tips on getting out of debt. So let me, let me give you just a couple, uh, couple stats. Only 32% of Americans would be able to cover a $5,000 emergency with, with cash without going into debt for it. So there's like instant regret. A parenting magazine poll indicated that 49% could not cover even one month's expense if they were to miss a paycheck. It's kind of instant, instant regret. From 1980 to 2005, um, consumer indebtedness, including mortgages, went from $1.4 trillion to $11.5 trillion. Um, retirement Confidence Survey, when asked how, they have, uh, how people make their retirement planning decisions, 44% of working Americans say they guess. 
you might fall somewhere in this arena when it comes to regret with your money. So, John, what's the first thing you would say to someone who wants to deal with their debt regret? Well, I think it's important for everybody to realize that no matter where you are, whether you are carrying a lot of debt or a little debt, and you've made the decision that you want to do something about it, um, it's never too late to start. So it's really important just to understand that you know, no matter where you are, just, just making the commitment to do something about it, that's, the, that's a huge first step. And really, no hole is too deep. I mean, when I was a financial planner, I mean, I saw people dig themselves out from serious, serious debt. And, you know, it's all about, you know, just kind of planning and making the commitment to doing it. Yeah. And, and kind of jumping in, jumping in, making the assumption that debt is one of our major regrets. I mean, you work, you work for Capital One, you know, credit cards are kind of part of that. Yes. Yeah. And so full, full disclosure, I work for Capital One. Obviously, we've all seen the commercials and it's a huge credit card company. And for a lot of people, credit cards are a, a good tool to manage their finances. They can get, you know, miles or award points. But for myself, uh, I've tried credit cards, you know, through my, I guess, 30 plus years that I've been, you know, a, an adult. But um, for me, they haven't worked. I mean, so I don't have a credit card right now. I have a debit card. And um, you don't have to have a credit card to live in today's society, no matter how digital or electronic we are. If you have a debit card that comes directly from your checking account, you can, you can operate just like anybody with a credit card. But I don't have a credit card just because uh, me and Liz made the decision it doesn't work for us. And, you know, too many times over the past 30 years, you know, we've gotten into debt because of it, because we couldn't keep up with the payments. I mean, if, if you are somebody who's fastidious about it and you know, can buy something and then the next time you get paid or before your bill comes, make the payment to the credit card because you want to get the points or you want to get the miles, that's great. I mean, there's millions of people that are able to do it. All I'm saying is I wasn't able to do it, even though I work for a credit card company, and um, you shouldn't feel ashamed because you don't have a credit card or you shouldn't feel ashamed because you owe money to the credit card company. If you want to do something about it, you know, cut up your card, and start making the payments and get out of debt with them. Um, so, uh, you know, lots of different tools, lot, a lot of different approaches out there. What's the best tool that you found to steward uh, your finances? Yeah, well, it really starts, uh, like anything that you want to do, if you want to plan ahead, whether it's, you know, you want to save for college or you want to buy a new house or a new car or something, it starts with understanding where you are and, you know, what you're spending money on and listing out all of your outgoing cash flows each month, you know, what you're being charged for, um, how many times you go to an ATM and where that money goes. But bottom line, it starts with a budget. I mean, everybody's heard of it. Um, never. <laughs> I know it's a new concept, right? About thousands of years old. But the thing is, if you can get that budget together and manage it, you know, and that's, that's half the process, too. This is active. This isn't a passive thing where you write down something and then you forget it. It's done. I mean, I can honestly say, you know, I spend more time staying on top of my budget, you know, even after all these years than really any other financial activity I have. So, you know, establishing that budget and understanding, you know, what you're spending money on. Because I, I think a lot of people, at least people that have been through Financial Peace University, you know, when they do that and realize what they're spending their money on, it blows their mind. And that's like the first kind of 
nudging towards becoming a little bit more fiscally responsible. Yeah, we've actually got uh, an example, uh, just a quick budget form that's out in our welcome cart that if, if you've never been through Financial Peace University or, or never even, you know, done a budget before, maybe the f it is the first time you've heard the word budget. I, you know, uh, who, who knows? Or maybe you've never done it before and, and want to try it out. Uh, grab, uh, grab one of those out there. Um, you know, one of the big things... <laughs> That, that kind of uh, helps, helps us figure that out um, as we look through and, and actually pay attention to what resources that, that we have. It's, it's not about how much money we, we, we have coming in. It's about just being responsible with what God has blessed us with and how we're, how we're using it. So, um, I mean, when, when you say budget, I mean, you're, you guys meet regularly and, and talk about that. I mean, you're looking at your expenditures and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is you just set your budget at the beginning of the year and just don't look at it again, right? I mean, it's no. a really easy process. Yeah, it's quick. So actually, you uh, don't have to put any work into it. No, it's a, it's a, a multi-night uh, activity during the week. Um, but the thing is, once you get it set up, you know, once you are starting to live with it, the work decreases. But, I mean, it's all about staying on top of it. I mean, our big challenge when we first started doing our budget was the fact that we'd get our bank statement and we could never reconcile the charges and the dates with what we saw going on with our bank account. But now with online banking, it's very easy to track what you're spending money on, what charges you're incurring, and how to avoid them, and also what payments you have coming up for different things. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about. But you really, it's a, it's a commitment to staying on top of it because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, kind of what Rob said previous, I mean, we're just stewards of the gifts God gave us. So, you know, he doesn't want us going into debt. You know, the, the scripture said that the, the, uh, the debtor is slave to the lender. And, you know, we don't, he doesn't want us in that situation. He wants us to be responsible for the gifts he's given us. And having a budget and managing it is a big part of that. So that's kind of why why it matters to spend that time. I mean, and and you you and Liz have never argued like since you've had a budget. Like everything's been perfect for you, no, no financial issues because you've had a budget. Yeah, let right? me tell you, everything's been amazing. And that is the biggest uh, point of contention uh, in not only my marriage but you know marriages all over the world. You know, couples are always fighting about money. And I remember you know some of the couples that I dealt with when I was a financial planner. I mean, they would have separate accounts, you know, this is my money, this is her money, and you know, that's, if you want to set it up that way, that's fine, but the important part is talking about it and working on it regularly together, whether, you know, you're going to pay the mortgage and I'm going to pay the utilities and groceries or whatever, that's fine, but, you know, the constant communication is what it's all about, and actually, that helps relationships, just, you know, that constant, you know, discussion and agreement and, you know, kind of partnership going into, you know, how you're going to manage those resources. Awesome. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. I mean, it doesn't matter what your scenario is, right? You don't have to be married. You can be single, you can be young, you can be old, all, all, all that kind of thing. You know, whether or not you choose to use a budget, whether or not you choose to cut up your credit cards this week, whether or not you choose to, you know, sell the car that you can't afford and buy a used one, right, and make, make those decisions. The, the issue here is not making perfect investment, you know, strategies, it's about recognizing these are God's resources and that we're all called to use them for the kingdom. And that when we do that, we're a part of what God is doing in the kingdom. 
We, we, get to, we get to, like, say, hey, this life change that happened to this person in our church, we, we were a part of that because we used our, our money. We used our talent. We used our ability. We used our time. We used our talents that God has given us to affect and further the kingdom. There are plenty of stories and testimonies of folks getting out from under debt in their life. I mean, you can go and do a Google search. I mean, if you need something inspirational, maybe if debt is your, your financial regret, or maybe saving for retirement, or whatever it might be, here, here's the issue when it comes to starting over and living a life of regret and recognizing that money is a stewardship issue between us and God. The issue is, are you and I willing to put ourselves aside and allow God to be the master. Are you and I, whether we get five talents or two talents or one talent, are we willing to be faithful in those few little things so God can share in the abundance and the joy with many things? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It's one of the, one of the biggest points in this parable that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 25 beyond starting over when it comes to our, our, our money and our talents is, is that God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. That, that Jesus is coming back, then the master is going to return. Even if it seems like a delay and even if it seems like, oh, I, I got some time, uh, you know, in that, that, that he's going to return. And every week at Velocity, we celebrate that. We take communion together. And we recognize that, that if, if, if in this moment, like when we say things like Jesus is going to come back, if fear and trepidation are what kind of strike at us, then, then we know we have some sort of unresolved spiritual regret going on in our life. Because that's not what the master wants to share in with us. When, when the master, come, when Jesus comes back, what he wants to share in is, is absolute joy in saying, I want to give you of all my resources. I want to share all those good things with you. That's, that's what I want for us. And so recognize that and live that out. Now celebrate the fact that our joy in life is that hope and that meeting that we have with him where he will come back and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, the, the investment strategy, the resources that we need, they were all taken care of at the cross. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the spiritual death <laughs> that we were in is what, what truly mattered and what truly matters in this life. And that was taken care of us for free by Jesus. And so we take a little bit of bread and we take a little bit of, of juice together and we celebrate in that and we live that out in every area of our life as we steward our resources for his kingdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, being faithful to us no, no matter what, that, that even uh, when we mess up and we need a place to start over, that you've, you've already taken care of all the resources, that you've already taken all, care of all the background information. You've given us the foundation for doing that through, through your son, Jesus. Um, God, we ask that uh, you help us to see how we can if we have regret with money, how we can start over, how we can not let this be something that, that holds us down, but that, that it's just another area in life where you want to share your abundant resources and joy with us. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.